Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, as we are marching our way through the book of Corinthians, as we are really coming to the close of the book, and in many ways we're coming to a, a chapter that is very practical. We've gone through some things that are more theological as we've gone through chapter 15. Though theology is practical, Paul is really now giving us some very practical things that are taking place. And in these practical things, we will find some practical things to do. So it's a very practical chapter. So our text this morning, as we come together, will be verses 10 to 12. Verses 10 to 12. Paul writes, as the, moved by the Holy Spirit, Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me. For I expect him with the brethren. And concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we walk our way through this text this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word, and again, we recognize that every single word of your scriptures are inspired, that they are God-breathed, and therefore they are valuable. And so this morning, as we look at this text, again, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that we would learn, and that we would be more conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, and recognizing more how we should abound in the work of the Lord, I pray. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. So again, you might look at this very practical text here this morning, and you're going to say, um, I don't see a lot here. But I think we're continuing on in the same vein that we were last week. And we remembered as we started this text, we looked back and we said that this text begins back in verse 58 of the last chapter in chapter 15. In verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. And so there's kind of this beginning part here where he says, abound in the work of the Lord. Be, be, be above and beyond. It's like have your cup run over, like be doing it a lot, doing it enthusiastically. Make that be the hallmark of your life, you could say. Have that, that, that continuing on. Now, as we look at verse 10, we're going to see a, that similar phrase. He is coming to do what? The Lord's work. The Lord's work. Abound, be abounding in the Lord's work. And Timothy is what? Doing the Lord's work. And so there is an emphasis here in this text on abounding or doing the work of the Lord. And so we can kind of see it, this theme coming through. And we talked about that in FOF. Is there a theme that we see coming through? And we can see this here as Paul gives what we would say is practical instructions. He's also laying down maybe an understanding as to the theme, what he is getting at here this morning. 
And so as we look at this text then, we, we would say, well, what is the work of the Lord? Like when we just say abounding in the work of the Lord, what does that mean? Because that's pretty general and it's kind of like, which may be one of those phrases when we first hear it, we just simply, we just skip over. Yeah, we need to do, do the work of the Lord. But what is the work of the Lord? Well, we know that there's two primary things that we're here to do. If we're the church and we're left here on earth, we've got two jobs. Pretty simple. Number one is what? Evangelize. We're here to evangelize. God left you on, on earth to evangelize. We know this, that that's one thing you can't do in heaven, right? You better get it done now because you can't do it when you get to heaven because it's too late. You're either there or you're not. There's no one to evangelize in heaven. So the church has been left on earth to evangelize. This is God's means by which the gospel is shared. This is the way in which people are brought to salvation. This is the way in which the gospel is to go forth. This is God's means. And secondly, the second thing that we're to do as the church is not just, not just to evangelize, but we're to make disciples. In other words, we're to be working on the area of sanctification. So we're not just making converts while we live like the way we want to, but we are to be being sanctified this whole time. And we are in the process of being disciples and making disciples. In other words, we're continuing to bring people into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ by teaching them the word of God, calling them to obedience to the word of God, and then being obedient ourselves. And so he says, here's the work of the Lord that, that needs to take place. Share the gospel. Make disciples. In other words, making disciples is, is not just getting people converted, but bringing them to maturity in Christ. And so as we started looking through this text here last week, we, we saw here are some ways for us to abound in the Lord. Here's, here are some principles that we need to look at or, or to consider or to implement if we're going to be abounding in the Lord's work. And certainly as believers, that's certainly what we want to be doing. We want to be pleasing to our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to do the things that he's called us to do. We want to hear him say, well done, the good and faithful servant. And so we want to be faithful to the opportunities that he's given to us. And so as we began through this text last week, we simply saw that we needed, first of all, to make plans. In other words, there's a necessity for us, if we are going to be pleasing to God and abound in the work of God, to actually plan to do the work of God. We can't just hope that it gets done. We don't just sit down and say, well, Lord, use me, and we sit. Like we talked about God not being able to to steer a parked car, I think is the idea. In other words, you need to be planning and you need to be headed. And so you, you need to have an idea of what you would like to do. And so Paul did it. Paul made plans. Paul had all kinds of plans. And we talked about him planning to go to Rome. And after Rome, uh, Rome, he wanted to go to Spain. In other words, he had a vision of what was going to go in the future. He had desires of what he wanted to do and how he could plug in with the Lord. And we said, really, in some ways, most of us, if we're going to do ministry, if we don't plan it, it's not going to get done. And, mo and that goes for all of life, really. If you don't plan it, it doesn't happen. 
And so if we're, if we're going to be effective in, in abounding in the, the Lord's work, it is something that we have to plan for. It is something that we have to give some thought to because it just doesn't happen. And then we saw that we needed to be flexible in our plans. Paul was flexible. He, he said he left his plans open-ended, recognizing that though he planned certain things and he desired certain things and he thought that this is where, what he should do, that he also recognized that that he needed to be open to the Lord's leading. In other words, he says, if the Lord wills. And so the idea is this, I hold my plans in an open hand, being flexible, knowing that God may have something else for me, but at least I head in a direction, right? And we talked about Proverbs 16.9, where we say a man plans his way, but the Lord what directs his paths. In other words, you step out and God will direct you. But he's not going to direct you until you're moving, until you at least have something that you're headed towards. And many, many men of God have headed to the mission field, wanting to go one place, and God has directed them to another place, and they've spent their career there because God, in his providence, had moved them to a place of ministry that he desired for them, and they were flexible to go with God's plan. And then we saw, again, that there was a need for a financial plan. In other words, when, we start, when you're planning to do ministry, or, and especially if you're going overseas, we don't test the Lord by, by showing up at the airport and, and waiting for God to give you a ticket, right? You don't quote, I, Lord, you know, we don't quote, the, I can do all things through the Lord who strengthens me, which is out of context, Right? And, and hope that somebody gives you a plane ticket. In other words, there, there has to be a reasonable human plan to go. Now, we know that God, God does sometimes provide when we don't have it all, and we might have only part of it, and we take a step of faith. But primarily, there is going to be an understanding that you, you actually have to have something in place, right? You can't eat air, and so you're going to have to, be, to make provisions for that. And Paul certainly does that as he goes out for them, as he, as he plans actually for the church here to send him on his way, a technical term for you're going to not just say goodbye to me and, and you know, out the door, but he, you're going to actually give me something for my journey. And then we talked about his desire to stay with them and to do, and to do to do deep to do deep ministry. In other words, he wasn't there just to to do the the quick through the through the front door, uh, you know, do ministry and then leave. He actually wanted to do ministry that would be effective to bring them to maturity. And so he wasn't interested, as we would say, so much in the breadth of his ministry as the depth of his ministry. And he wanted to spend enough time to build them up in Christ. And then we saw again that the need to minister, we would say, in the meantime, or to be, to be ready to be in ministry while you're waiting for that thing that you're heading for. In other words, Paul says, I have an open door here and I'm not gonna leave yet because I'm ministering. And so Paul, as he waited to go to Corinth, also was in the, in the business of being busy and in the Lord's work where he was. And so there is the idea here, yes, we may have bigger plans. We maybe have goals that we would like to go. And, and as God lays it on our heart and as he's gifted us, there are things that we might be headed to. But that doesn't mean that there aren't ministries that we should be involved with 
until that time comes. Right? You're not, we, we would say, we, we would hope at least in the church that the first day that you walk in, you don't get to walk up and preach from the pulpit. We would expect that there would be a process of, of serving in the church and, and demonstrating a faithfulness until gifting reveals itself and, and then that person is promoted. And so be involved where you're at. And we talked about how if you're not involved here, if you're not being involved here, we're certainly not going to send you somewhere else to be involved because you don't magically become something that you're not. And so you need to be busy until the Lord, Lord's timing as he moves you in ministry. And then the last thing that we saw last week was to expect opposition, to expect opposition. We, we saw that where we recognize, he said, but there's much opposition here. And so when you go into a, to a place, you're going to find that there is going to be opposition to biblical ministry. We should expect that. If we're going into a new, a new area, we would expect that there's going to be hostility from those who, who already have worldviews and religions that are different. And even in the church itself, with the church who's been cultured, had a church culture who's been taught wrongly, will resist often the word of God. And so we must not, we should expect that. In other words, we should say, okay, this is coming. And so the question is then, if there is no opposition, what you should say, if there's no opposition, what am I doing wrong? Now, maybe nothing, because some, sometimes God's just blessing. But oftentimes, with the the true teaching of the word of God and calling people to deal with sin, you're going to find you're going to have opposition. People do not like being told that they need to repent of their sin. And so one of the things that sometimes confirms us that we're on the right track is exactly that. So don't take opposition to mean I'm doing it wrong. It may be very well the sign that, you, that God is moving and Satan is resisting because Satan does not want people to be saved, right? He's happy to leave the pagan alone because they're on their way to hell. But when, when you start with the truth of the word of God and the Holy Spirit is moving, he moves in. And so we should expect to expect opposition. And so if we're going to abound in the Lord, we need to, we need to understand these principles. We need to apply them and we need, we need to, to be aware of them. Well, as we come to our text today, then, we're going to see, really, Paul giving the itinerary of, of Timothy and Apollos. He's going to tell us about their, their trips and their movements. But in doing so, he doesn't just inform the, the Corinthians as to when to expect them or what's going on with them. But he also gives us two more principles on how to abound in the work of the Lord. He's going to give us two more principles how to ab ab abound in the work of the Lord. And the first one that we're going to see today, which is actually number seven out of the, <laughs> but number one for today, number seven is simply this. We need to work with and support others in ministry. We need to work with and support others in ministry. Now look as at our text this morning. He says, now, if Timothy comes. Now, at first you might say, well, maybe Timothy's not coming. Maybe he's, he's, he's doesn't know if Timothy's coming for sure. But we know this, if we look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that Paul is sending Timothy 
to them. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach you everywhere, just as I teach everywhere in the church. So the question here really is not whether Timothy is coming. When he says now, if he comes, the idea is simply I'm not, whenever he comes. In other words, I'm not actually sure of the timing that he's going to come. So Timothy was not resisting. <laughs> Timothy was going as Paul had sent him. And so th- this is not an idea of wondering if Timothy is going to make it there. He's not, he's not worried about him deciding not to go or maybe even a boat accident. But he's, he's waiting for him to, to come at what time he will come. And so Paul says, I'm, uh, Timothy's coming. And, and again, we know from Corinthians that he's already sent him. He said, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. Now that, that's kind of a funny statement when you think about it. He's coming to you, but don't scare him. All right? Now this is not what my children like to do, is to hide behind the corner and say, boo. That's not what he's saying here. But the idea here is, is when Timothy comes, don't cause him to be, don't, don't intimidate him. Don't go after him so he's afraid. Now you might say, well, Paul, why do you need to do that? Why, why would you write that? Well, Paul knows who Timothy is for one thing, and he knows who the Corinthians are on the other side. And we know from Paul's writings to Timothy that, that first of all, that he was young. He writes in actually eight years later, and he still speaks of, of Timothy's youthfulness. In other words, he's young. So we know that it's sometimes hard when you go someplace and you are young. Who wants to listen to you, right? What's that young pup, right? He's still wet behind the ears. What has he got to tell me about? He hasn't lived any life and why should I listen to him? We also know that that Timothy tended to be timid. In fact, Paul wrote in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that in encouraging Timothy to, to, to take the mantle, as it were. And this remember, this is later on. And Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, and he's writing to Timothy because Paul knows he's about to die, and Paul is about to give the mantle over to Timothy because Paul knows he's dead. Timothy will now have to carry on the ministry without Paul. All of the apostles are going to be dead except for the apostle John, and we're not sure where he is. And so he's going to give him this mantle, and he says, he says to him, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. In other words, there's, there seemed to be a, a tendency for Timothy to be timid. Now, whether that was just the fact that he didn't push himself forward or the fact that he was easily intimidated, the idea is that he needed courage. And so Paul realizes he's sending his spiritual son into this group, and he says, Guys, don't intimidate him. I I recognize that Timothy may be easily timid. He may not push himself forward. He may not take the mantle like he should, so don't make him afraid. But Paul was also aware that in sending his spiritual son, that his spiritual son would be his representative and that they, they, whoa, Paul already knew how they had treated him. Remember, Paul came as an apostle. 
He was, came with authority. And yet, Paul knew that they were hard to deal with. They were already, it says, now some of you have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. They were already fighting and disputing on which teachers they wanted. They become arrogant. Paul said, but I will come to you if the Lord wills. I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire, that I shall come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit? He says in 2 Corinthians 10.10, they say of him, his letters are weighty and strong, but in his personal presence, he's unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Like, they're going after the Apostle Paul. In fact, 2 Corinthians is written really as a defense of his apostleship. So you've got a church here that's not easy to deal with. They are, they, they, we would not say that this is the model church. We would not model our church after 1 Corinthians. These people are hostile to the leaders. They're, they're willing to attack the Apostle Paul. He has, spends a whole book trying to defend his authority as an apostle. And so Paul knows he's sending, as it were, his son maybe into the hornet's nest here. And he says, Corinthians, don't do this. Don't intimidate him. Don't make his life difficult. So he gives us now the reason why they're not to do that. Don't intimidate this shy, sensitive man. As one commentator said, some of these Corinthians were crusty, self-willed, puffed up, hot shots. And so he says, here, here, is, here is this spiritual son going into this church. And he says, this is why you are not to, be, to do this. For he is doing the work, the Lord's work. For he is doing the Lord's work. In other words, you respect Timothy not because Timothy's all that in a slice of bread. Timothy may not be the age you'd like him to be. He might not be as aggressive as you'd like to be. Maybe he's not the type A personality that people usually follow. But he says there's one thing that you must recognize, Corinthians, that Timothy is doing the Lord's work. He's not here doing his own thing. He's not here under his own authority. He's doing a supernatural work of God as he works through Timothy. He works for the Lord. And understand this. If he's coming and he's discipling and he is, he is equipping the saints for ministry and if he's dealing with sin... Not only is he doing the Lord's work, but you have to understand if you're interfering with Timothy, you're actually interfering with Jesus' work. You're, inter you're interfering with the Lord's work. You're interfering with what God is trying to do. So don't touch him. Don't hassle him. Don't intimidate him. He's coming to you. And then he says this, not, he's doing the Lord's work. Don't mess with him because you're messing with the Lord's work. He says, as I am, as I am. And here you see Paul's heart and here's what you really see. 
This is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote Scripture. This is the Apostle Paul who, who gave commandment, who, who was a leader in the church. And there might be a sense in which he could have been puffed up and said, look at me. I am, I am unique. I'm not just an apostle. I'm an apostle out of time. And I, I, I got taught, you know, I went up to the third heaven and man, I've got unique experiences that no one else has. And I am so essential to the work of God. No one can do it like I do. And yet he says, Timothy does the work what? So as I do, in the same way that I do. In other words, Paul recognized that he wasn't above Timothy, that Timothy's ministry was just as important as his. He didn't put himself up above. He didn't say, I'm better than you. In fact, he realized that Timothy was a brother in the ministry doing the same work that he was. We often think of the Apostle Paul as this lone soldier who did everything himself. But that would be a massive misunderstanding of who Paul was. We look, if you look at the Apostle's life, you look in Acts chapter 13. And we begin with Paul being sanctioned to go on missionary journeys and him and Barnabas are set apart. There are five leaders in that church. We would say five men who are the pastors and elders of that church. And Paul and Barnabas are set apart to go and to do missions. Paul doesn't, he's not self-appointed. He's appointed to go. He's sent by the church, but he's not sent alone. He's sent with someone to minister with him. And that will be Paul's ministry all through his ministry. He will, he will take, when he's done with Barnabas after the dispute over John Mark, he goes with Silas. Everywhere he goes, he talks about, the, he's taking men with him. He takes Timothy, he takes Titus, he takes all those people in the faith. He spends 24 people, I think it is in Romans 16, he acknowledges those who have worked with him. Paul recognizes that he's not essential for God's work. In other words, everyone else's work is just as important as his. And there can be a tendency to want to be a, a lone soldier. There can be a tendency to want to think that somehow the Lord needs you for service. And yet Paul recognized, really, to be successful in ministry means being a team player. It means working with others and encouraging one another. And here he is defending Timothy, setting the table for him, but also recognizing that Timothy's work in the Lord was just as pleasing to God as his. And we want to guard against that idea that somehow ministry only gets done when we do it. There can be a tendency for us to think that we're the lone soldier that has to get it all done. And yet Paul took people with him. And Paul recognized that God was working through them just as much as he was working through him. Different gifting, sure. Different impact, maybe. Different results, could be. But the reality is it was the Lord's work and it was nothing to be sneered at. It was nothing to be looked down on. In fact, Paul considered Timothy a brother. 
And so he worked in unison with him. He worked together with him. So Paul goes on in verse 11. He says, So let no one despise him. Let no one despise him. Paul's not totally convinced that even after what he said, that they still won't, they still won't think very little of him. Don't have a, an attitude of disdain where, you ha- where he has no merit, no worth, is what is really the idea. Don't disdain him. Don't think he's no value. Remember, he's doing the Lord's work. And so he's, so he's still protecting that young man because he recognizes that this church has not always been hospitable, not always teachable. And yet, so once again, he, on Timothy's defense, he says, so let no one despise him. He's doing the Lord's work. Remember that. He's, accept him as you would accept me. And even though you didn't accept me like I'd like you to, recognize he comes with the same authority as he teaches because he's teaching from the same Lord. And he says, but in contrast, send him away in peace. This word here is probably similar to the word shalom. In other words, the idea here is not just send him away in peace and the fact that, that he's going away not fighting with you, but send him away and take care of him as it were, alongside his journey, for I expect him with the brethren. So he says, send him in peace. When, when it's time for him to leave and he's done with you, take care of him as he leaves you. Send him so that he has enough money and enough uh, resources to come back to me. So he says, for I expect him with the brethren, and we're not exactly sure who that is. We don't know if Timothy traveled down with some and, the, and they're going to travel back with him. It, it's not exactly clear. But it's clear that Paul intends for Timothy to come back with some of the brethren to visit him wherever he's at at the time that Timothy is done. And so again, we are reminded this morning that we need to be those who recognize the value of other people's ministries and that we need to work with and encourage them in their ministry to the Lord. Paul did. Paul didn't think that he was, that he, everything revolved around him, right? Because he trained up men to send out. And he let them do their ministry there, right? We don't, he didn't have, he didn't have the valuable, you know, uh, face chat chat times that we have now, right? Paul, Paul sent them out and he left them because he recognized that they had the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would work through them. So we need to work with and support others. Then I want us to see next that we are the eighth point here is that we are we are to um, it's just slipped my mind. Page two. <laughs> well, there goes a perfect sermon. But then you've never had one, so... Um, <laughs> at least since I've been here, I'm sorry. I shouldn't... Have <laughs>
<laughs> so I should not disparage the men that have gone before. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, simply this, we need to allow God to work in others. We need to allow God to work in others. Read with me in verse 12. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encourage him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it is not all his desire to come now, but he will come when the opportunity comes. Now, this is interesting. Again, we think of the Apostle Paul who wrote Scripture and who was sending Timothy and Titus everywhere and doing all of that. And yet, here, he doesn't make Apollos go. He doesn't make Apollos go. And it's because he recognizes that God needs to work in the individual for ministry. You can't have a ministry for someone else. Now notice this. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly. I encouraged him greatly. So the idea here is that he leaned on him. This, is, this is, means to, to request, to implore, to entreat. And he said he did it greatly. A lot. So imagine this. This is, this is the Apostle Paul, remember? And he is going to Apollos. And he is not just, this isn't something that you could mistake. It's not one of those subtle hints that us husbands miss all the time, right? It's not where he just said, well, you know, it might be a good idea for you to go to Corinth or, you know, I might go to Corinth. Like he didn't, he didn't do that. He wasn't subtle. He was very clear with Apollos. I think you should go to Corinth. This is where what I think is necessary now. This is my vision for ministry. This is what I am planning. This is what I think is best. You need to go. Right? So he, he, is, he is in no way being subtle. He is in no way, uh, you know, nuancing this. In no uncertain terms, this is what I think you should do. And yet, Paul does not steamroll this guy. Paul, Paul doesn't make it out for him that he must do what he tells him to do. You notice that? In fact, it's, it's, it's interesting because it says here, but, it says, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. I thought it would be a great idea. Why did he want him to go there? Well, it doesn't tell us. Maybe he thought that Apollos could stop some of the factions in fighting. Maybe he thought he would give Timothy some backbone and support. I don't know. We just don't know. But, and it was not his desire to come now. Notice that. Paul had one desire and one thing that he thought, and Apollos had something different. He had a different desire. He had a different idea of where he needed to be. He says, I, I, I don't want, it's not, I'm not coming. For I expect him, so he says, but he will come when he has opportunity. And the idea there is that he ha when he has opportunity, in other words, when, when he of his own free will, makes the choice and recognizes that he needs to go there. And so the principle that we see here is that you can't force people into ministry because of your vision and your plan. 
In other words, you could, now notice this, I just want to make it clear, because some of you are going to say, Pastor, I think maybe you strong-armed me a little bit. So did Paul. So did Paul, right? Paul, Paul did it. He greatly <laughs> encouraged, right? There's nothing wrong with, with, with the leadership and the pastor coming to you and saying, look, I see some gifting here. Here's some things that I think that the church could use and so, a way that you could use your gifts. But the pastor's vision and the elder's vision for the church and where you plug in may not be where the Holy Spirit has moved you. And so, unfortunately, the pastor is not a dictator, right? He's not someone who can plug... Did I say what? Okay. Right? So the, the pastor is not a dictator. And we cannot force people into ministry because we think they should be there. We have to allow that the Holy Spirit is working in our brothers as well. And that He is the one who will put people into ministry where... He sees them, now get this, in His time. Not your time, in His time. And so we must be careful that we are not so busy, and for some of us, we're planners, and we, we, get, we get on the wheel, and we, we just start seeing everything going the way that we see it. And we're we can almost, now listen to this, we can have the attitude that the person that we're dealing with is in disobedience somehow because after all, as spiritual as we are, we just know what the Holy Spirit's doing in their heart, right? And so they just need to come along and get along with God's plan. But in that, you're claiming to be God, right? You're not God. You don't know. You don't know what the Lord has, what he's dealing with, right? There may, there may be issues behind the scenes that God is dealing with that he, need, he wants to have straightened out before he moves someone to a certain ministry. There might be some learning to be done. There might be some maturing to be done. And so we must, we must be willing to allow God to move people into ministry as he sees fit. And to recognize that the same Holy Spirit that is moving us along is, is in our brothers and sisters. We don't somehow have, you know, uh, uh, a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. We don't have somehow have that, you know, a, a supercharged line and everybody else is just floundering. God is working and moving in people where He decides to put them. And so we need to be careful and to allow for God to move, just like the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is incredulous to some degree, that the man who so often said, do this, don't do that, and again, as we look at those, most of those, those were our cases where he's dealing with direct sin. So I, I, wanna, I want us to recognize there is a time where we can say to somebody, don't do that, right? So there, there's a time where we deal with sin, and always when there is that sin that is, that is visible, we can deal with that. So we don't allow people to keep stealing. We can say, stop stealing. We know that that's the Lord's will for somebody, right? Because the Bible tells us that's pretty clear. But when we get off of those areas and we get into areas of applying the principles of the Word of God and we get into those areas where the Bible is not clear, 
then we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives. And so Paul says, if we're going to abound in the work of the Lord, if we're going to be able to continue to do ministry and to do the things that God calls us to do, then we're going to have to step back and say, Lord, you work in people's hearts. You bring them along at the time that you feel best and give me the grace to be like the Apostle Paul and say, I'll back off. I've got plans for you. But I'll wait until God puts that ministry on your heart, until your time. So it's not like Apollos was opposed to going to Corinth. It's not that he didn't think that he would like to go to Corinth. But he recognized that whatever he was doing, this was the place that God had for him. And maybe you can take that other principle from Apollos' side. There may be a time where you're pressured to do something and you might say, actually, God has me here. And so you can just stay with that ministry that God has laid on your heart until that time where he moves you into something else. And so again, if we're going to be abounding in in the word of God, if we're going to be abounding in ministry, we're going to have to be those, first of all, who are willing to work with others. We're going to have to be willing to work for others and to protect others in ministry. And so you could say this, you need to be a team player. You, you need to be doing what's best for the body. And you need to be willing to include others, whether you're mentoring them, whether they're coming alongside you, so that you, we would say this, to some degrees, this is going to eliminate these areas in the church that says, that's my ministry. You heard that in church? This is my ministry. This is what I do. You know, and so anybody who steps their little toe in there or puts their toe into the water in that direction, people are like, whoa, God's not moving you there. He's moving you over here, right? So we want to be guarded from that. And so we need to recognize that God works through others and we need others in order for us to do ministry well. And this is why we're a body together, right? We are feeding one another. We are helping one another. We are encouraging one another. And then finally, we just, we need to recognize that God moves in people's hearts and we can't see that. So we're, we're, we're not the heart doctor who can come along and tell people what they need to do and not to do when it comes to ministry. We can encourage greatly, Right? But ultimately, we need to recognize that God moves in people's hearts. And so we need to allow people to come in God's timing. Because if we push people into things too soon, we may actually end up with a a massive disaster because we have moved not in God's time, but in ours. So let us trust God. Let us trust God that he works in others' hearts like he does in ours. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for these two principles that we see here in abounding in your work. Called us to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I trust that we will be those who would be obedient to that call and that we would be abounding in your work by doing it 
your way. And so I pray that even this morning, that as we looked at these two principles, that we would be those who would embrace them and that we would be those who would be willing to work with and protect others in ministry and that we would recognize your working in people's hearts as to where they minister in your timing. So Lord, I pray that you will continue to grow Bowmanville Baptist Church into a bride who is fit for your son, I pray in your name. Amen.